boom, and we're back in your ears again. We're sitting down with Dave Jackson, former NHL referee and ESPN rules analyst over on ESPN. Dave, how's the day treating you? Uh, it's early here in Denver, so it's you know nine o'clock, but it's beautiful Rocky Mountain day. It's sunny. It's it's fairly warm. I mean, coming from Montreal, I'm used to uh, I'm used to cold February days, and it's kind of nice where I just have to I just wear a hoodie and a ball cap, and I'm good. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's bitterly cold here. We're about to get some rain. I'm in Nova Scotia, so we're uh, we're dealing with the cold right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots to talk about around the NHL and things I like to pick your brain on. I usually message you, but I figured, hey. There's enough that I want to talk about that I should get you on. And one thing that I wanted to get is that hot button issue between Riley and Greg. And I want to know what your thoughts would have been if you were a referee on the ice for that situation. Do you, A, have any umbrance with what Ridley Greg did shooting that puck in the net with a slapper? Uh, because being a ref, you know that probably might invoke a response. Yeah. And B, I don't like the action that Riley used, but the reaction, I feel most guys probably would have done something. Yeah. But I want to know your thoughts on it. Well, I was actually watching the game. I got I got a chuckle out of it. <laughs> he didn't just do that, did he? Uh, it, it, it's funny. I mean, the game has changed so much. I mean, when I broke into the American Hockey League in 86, you know, we had we had five, six, seven fights a night. And, and it was a different game. It was a different... Um, different standard of refereeing uh, a lot fewer penalties, a lot more fighting um, things have changed and stuff that was accepted back in the day or wasn't accepted back in the day is becoming a little more acceptable now, but I guess there's this code the players talk about. And to be quite honest, as a referee, you try and you try and stay above that, you try and stay above the code. So if I'm on the ice and I see the guy do that in my head, I'm going, well, he's allowed to do that. Nothing says he can't. I wish maybe he hadn't because now there's going to be, there's going to be something happen. And that's exactly what happened. And you know, the referees, the referees can't, they can't get inside people's heads. They can't, they can't prevent people from doing things. They can only sort of react. And, and there's nothing you couldn't, you can't be proactive on something like that. That's just something that happens. And referees, you know, there's, there's no penalty for doing what he did. He shot the puck in the open net. I mean, yeah. move on. Like, and I understand I don't think the frustration was necessarily from what he did. It was in the fact that they they were losing the hockey game. And that's where the frustration uh, comes from. And then, you you know, you do that and there's a response. And the referees did what they did. I mean, we the referees have zero vested interest in who wins and who loses. Um, couldn't care less. It's a hockey game. Obviously, you hope to get out of there a little quicker with a couple of seconds on the clock. And now yeah. you've got, you know, now you've got to do an extra five, ten minutes of work. But. You call what's there, and they call what was there. Referees are kind of like street cops. They they see an infraction, they make an arrest, then they write the report and send it to the judge. And their hands are you know hands are washed of it after that. So they called the right penalty, uh, a stick in the head. They gave them a you know a major and a game misconduct, and leave it up to the league. So that's where the referees the referees don't really get all that bent out of shape by the minutiae of is there suspension, is there not. They really don't have an opinion on it. It, does, it doesn't affect them. And I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I, I don't cheer for either team. I don't really care who wins, who gets suspended. So it's really a non-issue for me. One question I will ask from that situation, a lot of people were pointing out the fact that really Greg stuck out his arm, made Riley's cross check kind of ride up. Do you, when you were referee, did you look at those kind of things and say, you know, you still caught him in the face, it doesn't matter. 
or does the ride up factor into anything that you call where, you know, if he didn't stick out his arm, it would have been just in the arm. He would have shot him into the glass basically, but because yeah. of that, it's projected up. See, that's, that's above my pay grade because that's all, that's all department of player safety. That's, yeah. that's the things they take into account. Um, you know, much going back to the cop analogy, I, I catch a guy speeding and he has a really good excuse why he was speeding. I'm giving him a ticket. He can go tell the judge why he was speeding yeah. and the judge can decide whether to get it or not. So from the referee's perspective, it doesn't really matter what he intended to do. It was the result and, and yeah. he got him in the head and they call a five in game. I mean, there's no referees or good referees and most referees, all, I think all referees in the NHL are good referees. They don't really get all, um, they don't take things personally. They don't go, oh, wow, I've got to, I've got to give you extra because you know you, you went after that guy. I mean, they just react to what they see, and that's referee saw a stick in the head. It doesn't really matter how it got there or what the intent was. It was a result, and that's what they called. No, definitely. Okay, the other part to this that I want to talk about with you, and it goes to the code. And I talked to Cam Jansen the other day about this, but it seems that players do have this code, the unwritten rules. I guess the guys have amongst each other. Are you guys privy to any of that? Do you guys know any of that? Do you ask any questions to guys when you were a ref? Like, hey, you know, what do you, what do you, what is this about? You know, what, why are you guys doing that? Or why do you take well, a bunch with this? I think, um, I mean, I played some pretty good hockey growing up. Never, obviously never professional ranks, but I believe that code starts very young. Uh, I travel hockey when you're in Bantam, Midget, Junior, um, if you know the game of hockey, you know what the codes are, the unwritten rules of hockey. Yeah. Um, you know, on top of the games I worked at the NHL, I probably did over 400 games in minor professional hockey. And if you don't know what the codes are, you learn them pretty quick when you're at that level. So, um, yeah, I, I would say most referees, all referees for that matter, know what the codes are. But it really doesn't matter. Uh, as a referee, you can't say, and I'm not talking about this play specifically, but in a completely different play where there's a response, you can't really say, you know, if, if a guy runs a goalie over intentionally and he gets jumped and gets pummeled and gets beaten, as a referee, you can't say, well, he ran the goalie, so he deserved to get beaten up. Yeah, I mean, you, under, you understand what the code is, but you still have to apply the penalties. Yeah. So, so I, I they're, they're kind of uh, mutually exclusive what the code is versus what the referees have to do in, in, you know, in doing their job and, and applying the rules. So yeah, we know what the code is, what the code was, what the code should be, but it really doesn't fall into Anything how we make our decisions. Yeah. Well, one thing that has been happening a lot this season is hits from behind. It's been brought up on broadcasts, you know, talking heads talking about the fact that the hits from behind are happening more often. Uh, it might be a fact that there's no enforcers. And sometimes, you know, these hits from behind are looked at as a five-minute major, then downgraded to a two-minute minor. Um, yeah. What happens with this here? Because obviously now the NHL is looking at it, and they said they are going to yeah. talk about it at the Board of Governors meeting, and it is a problem. So these things creep up every season. There's an infraction every season that seems to heighten, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But sure. this one right now, it's the hit from behind. and telling what's a five and what's a two and making it black and white for you. Is this an issue? And do you see this an issue? You cover a lot of games, see a lot of different things. Do you see this creeping up more and more, or is it just highlighted more in the games where it happens? Well, a lot of, a lot to unpack on, on your questions there. I mean, you're right about pretty much everything you said there. And 
checking from behind could be the most difficult or one of the most difficult calls that a referee is faced with, especially at the National Hockey League level. So let's go back to minor hockey. Minor hockey, they realized checking kids from behind is a bad idea. Kids are young. You don't want to get kids injured. So we put a stop sign on kids' backs, Yep. which, which in theory is great because kids should recognize the stop sign and not make contact. On the other hand, you've got a whole generation now of players who turn their back to an oncoming opponent knowing they won't get hit. It's true. And it's not even, I, I don't even think it's a conscious play to say, I'm going to turn my back so I don't get hit. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not, um, they're not making a, a, a hockey player going, this is going to be a strategy I use where I yeah. turn my back and I can't be hit. They just know if they go and play the puck and turn their back, they can't be hit. And what translates is that they get into higher hockey and you can, in fact, be hit from behind in junior and pro hockey. To what degree can you be hit from behind? Well, that's where we, we, we you know, we're trying to set the bar. Yeah. You can't have a player. Let's just take the NHL, for example. You can't have a player who decides I'm going to just protect the puck by turning my back and I become, you know, untouchable. Yeah, that's just the way the guys feel sometimes. Yeah, I see it all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I feel bad, especially for a player who commits to a hit and he has him lined up either from the front or from the side. At the last second, the player turns to avoid being hit and gets face planted. Yeah. Who's right? Who's wrong on that? I mean, that's what we're talking about right now. That's That's the issue. And for the referees... Like there is no magic solution. It, it's it's a case by case, a play by play, and it should be noted that in the NHL, there's no two minute minor for checking from behind. It has yeah, to be a five. Boarding. It has to be a five in game for checking from behind. Okay. So normally, you you seldom see checking from behind call because it kind of it kind of pigeonholes you into calling a five in game. So normally, if a referee sees a hit that he thinks crosses the line, he'll call it charging or boarding. Because when you call charging or boarding, right away you put your arm up, you see the infraction, and then you can then you can talk to your partner who might have had a better angle on it. You can see if the player's injured. Because injury does factor into some of these calls. Now, people say it shouldn't, but it's hard not to. Yeah. If you if you if you hit a guy from behind and it's not a malicious play, so the referees are also looking at was this play malicious or was it a legit hockey play gone bad? Yep. Because like there's a big said, difference. Quick. There's a big difference where a guy is just an honest hockey player trying to get body position on the player. The player turns and he hits from behind versus the guy who skates 20 feet, ignores the fact he can see the numbers the whole time and face plants him. Yeah, and plants him. Yeah, we see that. that there's a big difference in that. So I really like the fact that we have the ability now to call a five-minute major if there's a potential injury on the play, look at it, and then you can reduce it to a two-minute monitor, or you can get rid of it altogether. So I think what the referees, what their struggle is, is did the player turn legitimately in the in in the act of playing the puck? Was he was he turning and playing the puck? And he got hit, or did he know he was going to be hit? Know the guy had committed and decides to turn either to draw the penalty or to avoid being hit. Because I think I think there's a there's a big difference between those two scenarios. 
One is where a player is legitimately making a hockey play and maybe, maybe he doesn't see the guy coming and he just turns and he gets planted Yep. versus a player who intentionally knows he's going to be hit, knows the guy's committed and he turns to avoid being hit or even worse, turns to draw the penalty, which having played the game, I wouldn't want to draw a penalty and get, you know, face planted into the boards because you never know what's going to result from, from that happening. But, um, that's where the referees are at. Uh, it's all gut. It's all working by feel. People, people always want to say, call the rule book, call it as it's written. And, and those same people, when they say that, I'll ask them, you say call it by the way it's written, but hockey refereeing is judgment. It's all feel. It's not science. It's not science. You're not a chemistry major. You're an artist. And, and you've got that blank canvas and you're making judgments. You're making judgments, you go with your gut. And the people that want the rule book call, just, just, you know, as it's written, you can show them 20 examples and go, is that a penalty? And I'm pretty sure they wouldn't say yes to all 20. No. They do, they well, that isn't, that isn't. But if you go by what's written in the rule book, and then the further next question I ask them is, well, if the speed limit's 45 miles an hour and you get pulled over doing 46 miles an hour, you're probably going to say to the police officer, hey, use some judgment here. And if the police yeah. officer responded, well, it says in the rule book 45 and you were doing 46. And that's when kind of light bulb goes on in people's heads and they go, yeah, yeah you're right. It's it's tough to make something black and white. It's, and it's, and that's where we're at with, with hits from behind. The referees do the best job they can. They get every bit of information they can get. When you see a player go down on a hit from behind, you'll often see all four officials huddle. And they don't just default to a five-minute major so they can review it. They want to get the call right on the ice. So that's yep. sometimes why you'll see no call or strictly a two-minute minor because they don't want to rely on video as the default. They still want to have some pride and trust their own judgment on the ice. But if it rises to the level where they go, that was, that was really ugly, Yeah, we're calling five and a game misconduct – and we're going to use the review process to make sure we're not overcalling it. No, that makes 100% sense. And there's been some instances this year, actually, that I remember refs saying there is no penalty on the play uh, once right. they've actually went yeah. and looked at things or conferred with the other refs. And that is something that should be more commonplace, to be honest with you, the ability to go and look and make sure you get things right. And that's ultimately what everyone is striving for. And ultimately, you want to keep everyone safe, but at the same time, sometimes the player can put themselves in a vulnerable position. Like you said, turning quickly, guy's not going for the numbers at first. He's lined up shoulder to shoulder. Looks yep. like it's going to be a good check last second. It's not. So all of those things come into a, you know, a factor there. And I think it is something they will talk about. Maybe they add a two-minute hitting from behind penalty, you know, something like that, just so yeah. kind of drill into guys' heads. This is something we will now call this way, even if it's a lighter hit. I just want this out of the game. So that thing sure. will happen. Yeah. Um, what um, is the correct? Oh, go ahead. So sorry. What I was going to say is what bothers me sometimes too is, is and I get, you know, I'll get bombarded on, on Twitter and people criticizing calls or whatever. And that the, the, the thing I read a lot is people saying these referees, they're on power trips and they just, it's just want to, you know, they just want to go out and control the game. I don't know what it's like. I've been far removed from minor hockey for a long time, but at the NHL level, the last thing these guys want to do 
is be on a power trip and be noticed in the media for three or four days over a controversial call. Yeah, no, they, they <laughs> that's don't. not what you want. I I would go into my games going, I'm going to do my job here, and if I have to step up and be noticed, take charge. That's what I get paid to do. But I am not going to impose myself on a game for a power trip and then be subjected to five days of hockey highlights showing how I overcalled a, a penalty. It just, it just doesn't happen. The referees want to get these calls right. And when they don't get them right, it affects them. It stresses them. You get sleepless nights. I can tell you the sleepless nights I had as a referee on calls I called wrong. And we didn't, I didn't, in, in, in my day, I've, I've been gone six years now. Yep. We didn't have the video review for major penalties, uh, for double minors, for high sticks. We didn't have a, a, we had one year, my last year we had coaches challenge. We didn't have all that available. So I can tell you, I made many erroneous calls. Yeah, it happened. So it's a it's human and, error, man. Right. And it affects you. You don't you don't go out there and try and be on a power trip and overcall the game to show you're the boss. You just it doesn't happen. You go out there to try and get it right. You want to be perfect, and you're never perfect, but that's what you want to be. No, well, it's the same thing with an umpire in baseball, right? Everything's human error and human yep. judgment. Um, I'll ask this question before I get to the next one. Do you think, like most leagues do, that the referees maybe at the end of a game have a 15 to 20 minute sit down where they can talk to the media or explain their calls? Or is that just adding more fuel to the fire for them to inflame things? Well, that seems to be the hot button topic now uh, about referees being exposed to press conferences. Um, I'm firmly against referees having to do a press conference. Um, and I'll give you an example. If you get a player who does something stupid and costs his team the game, let's say it's a bad penalty or it's a, uh, you know, he throws a pizza out into his own slot and they bury the winning goal. Seldom is that player made available after the game. Yep, that's true. To face the media. The team protects him. If it was a referee who made a bad call, and a lot of times a referee doesn't even realize that he made the wrong call until he gets to watch it that evening or the next morning on video. Yeah, watch the game back, yeah. Right. A lot of times they think they made the right call. And there's a lot of adrenaline, a lot of adrenaline, a lot of pride in getting calls right. But there's also a lot of adrenaline. When you make a call and you have 20,000 fans and 20, 20 players and coaches and GMs, and they're yelling at you, they're giving it to you. Yep. It's a fight or flight type reaction for the officials. Your adrenaline is just, I mean, you're, you're pumped. You come off yep. that ice. You come off that ice and you're pumped and you're like, you've been battling. I mean, you're fighting on all kinds of fronts. You got players swearing at you, all, all kinds of things happening. Game ends. You come off that ice. You need to decompress. The last thing you need to do is be put in front of 20 reporters who really don't have a vested interest in, in being that polite to you because it's not like they cover you on a daily basis. They're not beat reporters worried about burning their bridges with the home team players. You're just a random official that has, in their mind, made a call that went against their team's success. Yeah. And, so, and obviously for clickbait titles or, you know, to hype up a, a story, right? It would be very easy to do that. And where they're very interested. You can yeah, it could be very confrontational. Them. It could yeah. be very confrontational. And uh, that's for that reason, I'm against it. However, I think we could have a compromise. It would take some work. The, yep. the referees association would have to agree to it. The league would have to agree to it. But possibly in cases of, you know, calls that are out of the norm, 
possibly they could send a pool reporter into the referee's locker room. That would who would work, go yeah. in, who would go in, he'd have one or two or three questions very respectfully within the confines of, you know, the referee's house. They're yeah. more at ease now. It's, it's, it's their locker room. It's their rules. It's, you need to be respectful. Yeah, dude. Then it would be also good to have the entire staff in there too, though, who did Correct. that game. So that way the vantage point of everyone would be seen. Right. Correct. So, and you're not having guys shout questions from all sides of the room. You've got one guy asking questions and then he goes out and makes the re- answers available to the rest of the media. No, that makes perfect sense. To I me. can I live would, with that. That's a, that's a compromise that would work. I think I really can live well. with that, but it's a lot easier said than done. There's a lot of logistics yeah. that have to, you know, be uh, worked out before that could ever happen <laughs> for sure well what's for you what's the crackdown this year you know there's been the crackdown on slashing on hooking uh, all kinds of different calls that are, are on hyper focus what is the one this year that you think is more elevated for the the officials that they were saying at the beginning of the year we're on the lookout more for this i don't i could be wrong but i don't think this year there was an emphasis placed on anything other than maintaining the standard and emphasis they've had over the past six to eight years. You're right. We started with um, the, obviously going back to 2005, hooking, holding, restraining interference. That was a big deal. And we've got the game sort of in a good place in that. And then um, around 2014, 15, it was slashing, slashing in the hands, slashing in the hands because players couldn't hook, they couldn't hold. So what they do, they whack the hands. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, you're not talking lumberjack swings, a quick little, Slash on the hands can break a yep. finger. So oh, that yeah. was the that was the emphasis for uh, you know that year. And then a couple of years back, we had we had a lot of uncalled cross checks in the in, in the in the playoffs. So they came out of training camp uh, two years ago. The emphasis was on cross checking. Yeah, I and, remember that the crackdown. Right. Yep. And and it should be noted that through all these things, they never changed the rule. The rule book hasn't changed. The enforcement and the emphasis on these things that maybe we let slide a bit over the years was just a renewed, a renewed emphasis yep. on cross-checking. And I think the message this year was guys don't back off. Don't let that standard slide to where it was in 1998. Yep. That's true. Yep. Continue calling the hooking, the holding, the interference, continue calling sticks in the hands and continue calling cross-checks. And I think that's what we've seen this year. And I really like where the standard is, and, and I think they're doing a good job. No, I fully agree. Like I usually hear at the beginning of the year, there's something in focus. So there wasn't anything that I heard this year, so I figured I'd ask. But yeah. the other thing is for fans, and you know, you probably get this every single night, what is goaltender interference? Because there's a lot of, what is this? How does this factor in? Why does that not factor in? Well, look at how this happened. And the one that I point at is the, uh, the one I messaged you about, the William Nylander. Going through the crease. Yeah. He was pushed into the goaltender. He tried to get out of the crease, but was pushed back into the goaltender. It seemed he was helped in, but the goal was waved off. So I'll use that one as my barometer of what yeah. would make that a goaltender interference call. Well, I don't want to speak specifics, but unfortunately, goaltender interference is not like offside. It, there's no there's no black and white. It's not like baseball where you're out or safe. Yep. Um Goaltender interference is, uh, I remember there was a Supreme Court justice back, I think, in the 70s. It said he was addressing pornography, and he said, I can't define it. I just know it when I see it. <laughs> That's, yeah. And, That's and, the best way to say it, yeah. And I think, so what we've done 
is we used to allow, we still allow the 36 referees on the ice to use their judgment. Yep. When they think it's goal interference, they call it or they, they say it wasn't goal interference. And it used to be they could review it and then they would sort of overrule their own call or confirm their own call. The league decided that maybe we should have the situation room be the final decider on, on these calls because we're a smaller group of people. We're the yep. same five or six people. But it doesn't change the fact it's still judgment. It's still judgment with, I guess, more consistency, uh, a narrower latitude versus 36 different referees' opinion of what they think goal interference is based on how they read the rule, based on how they see things. Now we've got six guys making that determination based on how they read the rule and how they see things. So there's no real easy way to define goaltender interference. Yep. Um, we know that. We know that for sure. Does it happen in the blue paint? That's the big thing. So if a goaltender is not in the blue paint, now what people need to realize is the blue paint extends vertically to the crossbar. Yep. It's a 3D crease. So it's not just where your feet are or where your goal pads may be. And the most simple explanation I give to that, picture a goaltender lying flat on his stomach. Yep. His skates and pads are in the blue. His entire upper body is in the white. That entire upper body is not in the crease. So if he's out leaning, trying to play a puck, and he gets bumped, not deliberately, but incidentally, getting as they're going to play the puck, that's yep. not goaltender interference. He's not in his crease. That ice is open to all 12 players. Makes sense. So when a lot of times when they look in the overhead, so I wish it was that simple, where guys are just lying flat on their stomach. <laughs> a lot of times you've got a goaltender whose feet are in the crease. He's standing up, his feet are in the crease, but he's crouched over. And it's from probably his chest up through his face mask are leaning forward and he's breaking the plane of that three decrease that upper body or that glove that goes out to make the glove save is no longer in the crease Makes sense. so if there's contact with that part of the body that's no longer in the crease it's not goaltender interference unless it's deliberate so um, i'll give you an example if the goaltender is on the edge of the crease and he sticks his arm out to make a glove save and his entire arm is breaking that plane well, if a player if a player takes his hand and whacks the goalie on the on the arm, or pushes his glove, those are deliberate actions. That's still goaltender interference. Yep. If, however, a goalie goes to make a save and the player coming around behind the net is not even looking at the goaltender, he's looking at the point because he doesn't want to get a slap shot in the head, and he's outside the crease and his shoulder hits the goalie's glove that's breaking the plan of that crease, and the goalie's unable to catch the puck because he got hit with the, by the player. That's going to be a good goal. That because makes, see that definition makes a lot of sense. It's not one that a lot of people readily say though. Exactly because they look at the goaltender's feet being in the crease and go, he was interfered with. But he, the part of his body that was interfered with was outside the crease. That makes so much more sense. That so let's take it to the next level. If the goalie comes out to cut down an angle, and he's fully out of the crease, there's no doubt. There's three feet of white ice behind him, and he's set in that shot. You can't run him over. The same. Picture the rule, if that's a defenseman standing in front of the crease. Yep. 
and a forward comes in and runs a defenseman over. That's interference penalty. For sure. You can't do it. The player doesn't have the puck. You can't run him over. But if that goaltender is out three feet outside the crease and he's set for the shot and the forward comes in and backs right against him and makes incidental contact and he can't make that save, that's too bad. You should stay in your crease. Yeah, you have a you have a protective zone that you should be right. in. Right. Now, if it happens in the blue, so the example I think you're talking about, how did the player get into the blue? So Nylander came around from the back of the net, went yeah. through the blue, was coming to go back out of the blue. The Winnipeg defenseman pushed him back, and then he hit the goaltender, and then right. Bertuzzi scored on the other side. The goaltender got interfered with, and then there was, I'd say, one or two seconds, and then Bertuzzi scores. Yeah. So I'll I'll send you the play over just so we, you can see yeah, it. No, I remember but, the play. Okay. I, I remember the play, but let's, let's talk generalities. So how did he get in the crease? He got there by himself. Yep. Right? He did. That's a big factor. Player got there by himself. So let's use a house analogy. If I walk into your house by the front door and you decide to bar the back door because I want to leave through the back door, yep. you have no responsibility as a, as a homeowner or a defenseman to let me leave through the back door. It's true. Keeping your spot. Go back out the front door the way you came in. So if a player thinks he can take a shortcut through the crease and the defenseman says, no, you're not coming past me here because yep. I've got my ice. You need to go around me. And the player engages him and says, now I can't get out of the crease. That's too bad. You got there on your own and your path to leave the crease was blocked. Go back the way you came. Makes sense. If that makes sense. Now, if the defenseman engages you with a cross check, pins you up against the goalpost or something, then you might see the goal allowed because the player was trying to get out of the crease. Defenseman wouldn't let him. Yeah, held him there. Yeah. Right. Held him there or knocked him down. You might knock him down in the crease. That's not the player's fault. But sense. to go in the crease and say you weren't allowed, you were kept from exiting the crease the way you wanted to exit, that's too bad. You shouldn't have been in the crease in the first place. Yeah, it's relevant. No, that makes, again, yeah. makes sense. When it's explained, now in the heat of the moment, when you look at it, you're like, come on. You know, but I get that now. Yeah. And it makes it makes a ton of sense. And um, I don't want to sound like a show-off here, but just because I did it for 30 years, and now with ESPN, I'm tasked with explaining it every time it happens in one of our games. Yep. And I also, I also watch the videos the NHL sends out and I'll give them props here. If anyone listening to this wants to go to NHL.com website, they have a video rule book in there and they have about an eight minute video that explains goalie interference. And it does a really good job of explaining goalie interference. And I really like it. But having said that, if you were to show me right now, 20 goalie interference calls where the result is not not known. It asked me what I think. It'd be subjective. I think I'd probably get about 16 out of 20 right. And when people say nobody knows what goalie interference is, I do know what goalie interference is. The the men working in Toronto situation know what goalie interference is, and the referees on the ice know what goalie interference is. So for fans to just throw their hands up and say nobody knows what goalie interference is is not true. If you educate yourselves, read the rule book, and watch the videos produced by the NHL, I would say that 75 to 80% of the time, you could determine what the call is going to be before it happens. No, those are things. Like you said, the, the plain analogy that you just gave me, though, 
that is probably the easiest way to explain it, period. And it makes it so easy to just understand that. And then the situation with Nylander going in one door and out the other, that makes it easy as well. Yeah. Sometimes people need things in layman's terms just to figure it out. And that for me is pretty easy, man. I can look at those things now on the ice when they happen sure. and understand when it's bang, bang. Okay, they, his arm was out of there, but he nudged it. He shouldn't have been out of his plane. Or, hey, he's out of his plane completely. It's his yeah. fault for getting bumped into. Um, for goaltenders on the ice. We see them all the time. Either the ref goes over to talk to them or they're talking to the ref. What are they saying? What are they saying to you guys? And when you're checking in, are you just checking in? Maybe you got a shot off the head or, you know, got up slow. Is it coming over just to make sure all is well and all is good? And when they're talking to you, is it just, hey, this just happened. Did you see that? Or, you know, is it the same thing as a player pretty much? Well, having a good rapport with a goaltender is really essential to having your game go a lot smoother and easier. If you've got a goaltender that's upset with you all night long, it's just things aren't going to go smooth. And, and and you want to make your job as easy as possible. I mean, you're there to do a job, but why not make it as easy as possible? So yep. uh, I would always try and initiate conversation with a goaltender early in the game. Ask him how he's doing. Uh, if he just Maybe he's just come back from injury. Ask him how he's feeling. and all. That. But having said that, when you're in the league long enough, you get to yep. know those goaltenders that don't want to talk to you. Yeah. And it's nothing personal. They just they just don't want to talk. They're too, fo- they're too focused on their game, and you have to respect that. You have to just leave them alone. Only spoke only speak to them when it's something you have to pass a message about. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise stay out of their kitchen. Other goaltenders, you know, you get guys like Marty Brodeur, you get guys like um Marty Biron, who's now on uh Sirius XM. And yeah, I mean, he's such a great guy that you I mean he, Almost, you almost tell him to shut up. The puck's going to be dropped. Get back in your crease. Like he just wanted to talk and say hi. And, and he's such a great guy. Yeah. Other goaltenders, they'd nod their head, but you could tell they they don't want to be talking. So um, when a goalie gets hit, for example, uh, takes a puck off the mask that doesn't cause the mask to come off, and he's still the play goes the other way. What I would do is I would skate by the goaltender really slowly and ask him, "Are you okay?" Makes and I say, if you're not, if you're not okay, just drop to one knee, and I'll, I'll, I'll kill the play immediately. And sometimes they drop to one knee and say thanks. Other times they just wave their catch your glove and say, no, I'm good. But you just want them to know that you're there, like you've seen it, you're supporting them. Other times, goaltender will be a little bit emotional. Maybe think he's letting a couple of bad goals. Uh, he feels he's been being interfered with, and he thinks you're not protecting him. So he takes matters in his own hands. He starts using his stick, starts using his blocker on the players. And you don't want to call a penalty on a goaltender. Um, I'm not saying you won't. It's just if you don't have to, why upset the goaltender? Why upset the team? So a lot of times verbally, you can, during the play, you can yell at the goaltender. You know, I, I can yell at you, James, keep your stick down. Keep your stick down. Leave him alone. He's outside your crease. I got him. I got him. And then... You follow up with that. When the whistle goes, you come over. You say, James, listen, I've got your crease. you got to trust me here. Yeah. If he makes contact with you inside the crease, I've got your back. Trust me. I'm going to call it. If a goal scored interference, I'm going to disallow it. Yeah. But I can't have you worrying about playing, you know, playing retribution and whacking guys with your stick. I can't have it. I'm going to have to call a penalty on you. Yeah. No, and nine times out of ten, they'll thank you and say, I appreciate it. And they'll calm down. 
Having said that, you have to be true to your word. Yeah. If he gets bumped, if he gets you've got to call it because otherwise they look at you and go, Yeah, I did I did what you asked me, and you didn't follow, you didn't, you know, you didn't follow up from your end. Yeah. So it's really important that if you're gonna promise a player you're gonna take care of it and he's gonna trust you, then you have to make sure you're there and you react when those things happen. No, for sure. And the one that comes to mind for me is Curtis Joseph. That one where he got interfered with and he came charging out of the net because he felt like he was done wrong and no one was protecting him. And, and he, he slid in and took out, I think it was Magoo. Took out Mick Magoo. He lost yeah. he lost an edge and took out Mick Magoo. And everybody was going, oh, he's going to get tossed out of the game and all that. And that's where referees use judgment. Yeah. They knew darn well that he didn't run Mick Magoo over on purpose. Yeah. They knew he, he slipped and fell. And you also know a guy like Curtis Joseph, he'd been in the league 15 years, 20 years at that point. Yeah. You know what kind of guy he is. You know he's upset, but you know what he did had had zero intent involved. Yeah. He fell, he slid. They had a good laugh about it, and I'm sure Mick said, "Listen, I've got to call something here." Yeah. So I think he gave him two for unsportsmanlike, and somebody had to serve a ten-minute misconduct as well for that. But it, it's all about judgment. Yeah, and that, that one there. You see that one? It's a heated one. It's, it's a memory for all these fans, sure. of course. And it's all about feel. A good yeah. referee has feel for the game. He knows what's going on. You don't just look at something, and as I said earlier, it's not black and white. You have to have feel. You have to have judgment. Well, the last one for me here is the uh, the other day, I believe it was the St. Louis game. John Tavares is not, at least from what I see, I don't know the on-ice stuff. No, he's he a very he's like, a very quiet gentleman. Yeah, he doesn't seem like he barks at the ref very yeah, much. He doesn't. But very audibly on that St. Louis game, you heard him rip the ref and just scream at him, you know, what the bleep. You know, when he was coming I, in, I on think that was, was an ESPN game. Uh, yeah. I was working that game. He was going to the net two on one and he got a stick in the back of the left skate, I think, and sent him in the DM boards. Yeah. So, right? I mean, obviously, coming, he's already dinged up. He's missed a couple games for yeah. injury. So, that's probably already going through his mind. But when a guy like that, a non complainer, I'll call him, because he really, I don't think he is that much. And from what we see, anyways, and what we're privy to. But when a guy has a reputation of being just a gentleman, pretty much, burger yeah. on, et cetera. Turns and barks. Does that make you, I don't know, not make a call, but does that make you maybe take into account maybe next time something happens with him or around him just to, to be more, you know, conscientious of that? I know you call it, you know, what you see. Yeah. And obviously that one was a, they maybe didn't see it or maybe didn't see it the way that John was saying it. Sure. But, you know, gentlemen players like that, when they turn and bark, does that make you go, oh crap, maybe something did happen? And after sure. the game, you go look at it? For sure. Uh, so, it wouldn't affect – so I, I can only speak personally, but yep. – No, no, you know, no, no, no. 30 no, years. No. So in a case like that, it would not affect anything going forward. I wouldn't I wouldn't fabricate a call just to even things up. You can't oh, do no, that. Oh, no, I wouldn't – not, not, you, you, not you can't. That. You can't do that. You can't do that. Um, what it would do for me is the second he went down, my radar would go up and I'd say, I might have missed something there. There's plays where you, there's plays where you see something and you know 100% you didn't miss anything. Yeah. It was a clean body check or the player the player toe picked or did something. You know 100% that you didn't miss anything. You have a shorter leash for guys giving you verbal abuse when that happens. All the time, yeah. You know, when you know you're 100% right. In a case like that, I can see why it was missed because the referee down low was focused on the puck carrier right beside him. Yep. So he was looking through a puck carrier, a defender, and 
Tavares over in front of the net. So I understand why he missed that. The only guy that could have seen that would have been the guy in the neutral zone who's 100 feet behind the play. Yeah. And he's watching multiple players go to that. And I, and I watched the replay of it. He had a couple of back checkers also blocking that out. So I understand how he missed it. It was a penalty. He was tripped. But as a referee, you kind of know, wow, I might have missed something here. So yeah. you don't allow a player to uh, – there's a certain line. Yep. And if he steps over that line, I don't care how much of a gentleman he has been. Yep. You 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 can't allow it. But you will eat a little more abuse when you know possibly you were wrong and they're right. As long as that abuse doesn't cross the line. Yeah, I think it was a one sentence and that was it. Exactly. It was a bleep and that was it. Exactly. And what I would do to address that is the very next whistle, I'd go right to the bench and I would address the player. Yep. And say, hey, listen, I think I might have missed that. I'm sorry. It down, probably right there. And and I'm sorry. I missed it. I can't fix it. Yeah. But I promise you, I'll try and be better. Yeah, that's all you can do. And I think that's all the player wants to hear. And he'll go, but he tripped me. I go, I know. I had a bad angle. I didn't see it. I just, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't see it. I was trying to get a sight line. I didn't see it. And most players, especially a guy like Tavares, who's a gentleman, will probably accept that explanation. hundred percent. The only yeah. problem with that is you have the guy behind him who seems to, to like to yell a lot lately and is very red in the face a lot of the time now. Well, uh, Mr. I remember being on the ice and you'd have coaches yelling at you and you kind of try and ignore it. And yeah. I'm a little bit hard of hearing, so it was pretty easy a lot of times to ignore it. But when you've heard it and they're keeping up, I, 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 I didn't like having to give an unsportsmanlike conduct or a bench minor. So I'd skate near the bench and I would bark at either the player or the coach and I would just tell them, I heard you. I heard you the first three times. I don't want to hear it again. Yeah. And it acknowledges to them that you've heard them. In fact, you've heard them three times. Yeah. And I don't ever want to be the guy going, if I hear it one more time, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a penalty. You don't want to make threats. You want to leave it kind of open-ended. I've heard you three times. I don't want to hear it again. Yeah. And then skate away. And that way you give them enough rope to hang themselves. I mean, yeah, they keep going and then if you've they keep going. Heard. They've been warned, but nine times out of 10, nine and a half times out of 10 message received. They leave you alone. Yeah. You can see them. I always see him like bite his lip. So it's probably when he's got his last warning and he just walks <laughs> off. Like he's just like all the muscles in his face. You can tell he's just biting well, on the lip. You know like, what? I'm just not going to go any further. He was never coaching when I was, when I was refereeing. But uh, I believe I did referee when he played uh, down in Tampa. <laughs> so I don't really know him. So I, I, yeah. I don't really have an opinion or know what uh, what works yeah. and what doesn't. Well, next time you watch a Leaf game, when he's whatever he's got an umbrance with and he's going after the guy and just going, you'll see the face go red. And then whatever is said, he stops, instantly stops, turns. And you can just see it. It's almost like he's clenching down as hard as yeah. Well, that's good restraint. He's already been fine and stuff too. That's good restraint. You've got to give him credit for that. Yeah. You know, he vents. He gets told that's enough, and he he stops. So that that's all you want. I mean, as as an official, I don't mind players and coaches venting. It's an emotional game, and I'm not always right as a referee. So if you want to tell me I'm wrong or you don't like a call, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Just don't abuse me. Yeah, don't, don't respectfully. There's a don't way to insult me. Don't insult my intelligence. Don't insult my family. 
just be professional. Yeah, tell me, tell me you dis disagree with me. We can agree to disagree all night long, and I got no issue with that. No, and that's the way it should be, to be honest with yeah. you. And that's the way most times I do believe it is. And you've talked before on the show about you know how the next time you've uh, you know refed a game between those two teams, and many times a player or a coach would come up to you and tell you, you know, hey, last time sorry, I stepped over the line. Uh, I think you had one story. It might have been Marshand um, that you had a story about a, a little while ago. So I always remember that too. You know, sometimes players realize they go over the line and the next game they come back and everything's calm and everything's diffused, right? So then well, you talk to them again. I remember having a game, and I won't even say who it is, but uh, a marquee player, let's say. It was, a, it was a marquee player, and I called him for cross-checking. Uh, it was a blatant cross-check on, on, on a back check. And um, as he went to the penalty box, we broke for commercial. So we had about a minute and a half, and he was in the penalty box. And, and he was adamant he didn't cross-check anybody. And he was telling me that he asked me if I have a um, video in the locker room to watch between periods. I said, I don't. He goes, okay, well, I look forward to next game. Next time you do our game, I look forward to you apologizing to me <laughs> for that for that terrible penalty you just called. Yeah. And I told him, I said, uh, I'll be glad to. But I want you to look at it between this period and tell me what you think. And uh, I come skating out to start the third period. And he was the first player on the ice, made a beeline over me. And he kind of hung his head and said, I apologize. I was wrong. I cross-checked that guy pretty hard. <laughs> and, yeah. and that was it. I laughed. And I said, we're good. We're good. Yeah. And he's like, yep, uh, I deserve that penalty. And, uh, and it's, it's, sometimes these players, it's such an emotional sport. And, and when you're in there, I mean, your adrenaline's going and everything. You don't realize sometimes what you've done until you watch the replay. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, and sometimes the referees are wrong. Sometimes you didn't do what you're being accused of and you're frustrated, but a lot of times you did do it and watching the video helps. Yeah. Seeing it back for the, that time. Well, Dave, I want to thank you very much for jumping on. You always make time for me to jump on and talk about things that are on my brain about the NHL. And of course the Leafs, I always ask some questions. So I want yeah. to thank you very much. Uh, my look pleasure. forward to talking to you, hopefully towards the playoffs and uh, thank you. Just want to say thank you again. It's amazing to have you on, but ladies and gentlemen, me. for everybody tuning in, Appreciate you being here. Make sure you hit that subscribe. Go follow Dave. Always great to hear him on the broadcast as well. This is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk. <laughs>